All right, good morning, EBC. How are you guys doing? Good to see you guys. So glad you are here with us. I sense a little sarcasm this morning. You guys sense that with me? So glad you're here. Happy Father's Day, dads. We love these guys. Amen, ladies, right? We're so thankful. Give them a big round of applause. We're so thankful for these men. Happy Father's Day, Dad. He's right over there, my dad. So thankful for him in my life. You guys help me out just a little bit. How many of you are wearing a watch this morning? Just, uh, you have a watch on? Here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and just take that watch off right now. I want you to take the watch off, or if you don't want to go there with me, but go ahead and take the watch off. Don't look at your watch, okay? Now, now, just to show you that I'm serious about this, I'm gonna take my watch off too and just put it over here. How does that make you feel knowing the preacher is taking his watch off? Are you nervous? Does that scare you? It probably does. Some of you, maybe you don't have a watch, but you have a cell phone and you're thinking right now, you're gonna cheat the system, aren't you? You're thinking, I'm gonna cheat the system. How many cell phones, you got them with you? All right, I want you to put your cell phones away. If you don't have your cell phone on you, you know, however you keep up with time. Maybe you have a beeper. Does anybody have a beeper? Our kids don't even know what a beeper is. Put your beepers away and welcome to 2017, okay? Uh, may, may, you know, put your phone away so you're not thinking about what's the next thing on my agenda or you've got your countdown for lunch or anything like that. Maybe you need to put your sundial away. Whatever device you use for, for keeping up with time, I want you to put that away for just a moment and I wanna ask you a simple but powerful question. And here's the question, is it more important for you to know what time it is or for you to know what you are doing with your time? Ooh, deep question, right? Think about it. Is it more important for you to know what time it is right now? Now You can't look at your watch, I'm just making a point. Is it more important to know what's next on the agenda? Where I'm supposed to be next? What's happening? What time it is right now? What's going on all around us? Or is it more important for you to know how you are investing your time? What you're doing with your time? What do you think is more important? I think it's pretty obvious that knowing exactly what time it is right now pales in comparison to knowing how you're actually spending your time, what you're investing your time in, right? But sadly, many of us, we think more about what time it is or what's next on our agenda or we, we're consumed with what time it is than, than a lot of times than how we're actually spending or investing that, that time, you know? We live in a culture that runs at such a fast pace. We wanna know what time it is because we have to keep our appointments and we have to be on time for, for what's next and, and you know and, and, and for a lot of us we never really take a step back and think about this question of what am I really doing with my time? Which really in essence is this question, what am I really doing with my life, right? What am I doing with my life? How am I spending my life? How am I investing my time? Uh, you know, what am I doing with this? The other day, my dad and I, we were out on the boat fishing out on Eagle Mountain Lake uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And we were just spending some time together and I'm so thankful for a dad who does that, even at 46. I want you to know how important it is that my dad invests his time with me. And so we were out fishing and we were just talking about life while we were fishing. And as I was catching more fish than he was on that day, um, Actually, it was the other way around as it typically is, but no, seriously, as we were sitting there 
and he was just talking a little bit about, we were just talking about just things going on in life and each of our lives, and he said this to me. He said, Bart, he says, as I'm getting older right now in my life, he says, he said, you know those little calendars where they, you've got on your desk, like you take, a, take one and kind of rip one off and for every single day? He says, it seems like, it seems like it could be like two weeks at a time instead of it feeling like a day. It's like two at a time going off or a week at a time. And the next thing I, I look up and it's a month that's gone by. What he more or less was saying is as I'm getting older, it feels like time is flying by. Does anybody else, does that ever feel like that with you? Where it just feels like time is flying by and the assertion is how quickly time flies in our lives and the next thing you know, we're at a certain age and we're going, where did all the time go? But isn't it funny how when you're a kid, it doesn't feel that way? I mean, think about how long it would take for it to, to be Christmas. That's why we'd say it's like as slow as what? Christmas. But now for me, it's like this. Oh my goodness, Christmas is already here. Do you feel that way? Right? It's like Christmas is here or whatever date it is that just kind of sneaks up on us. And, and my dad got me to thinking that day as we're in this series called Things I Wish I'd Known. He got me thinking about my own time and how I'm investing my time in my life. And what I want to talk to you about this morning, uh, to our dads, yes, on Father's Day, as just a challenge and encouragement to us, but really for all of us, I want to talk to us about how we're maximizing that time, especially whenever it comes to investing in our children, investing our lives and our time into our kids. Where are the moms and dads this morning? Raise your hands this morning. How many moms and dads? A lot of them. Just look around. A lot of moms and dads, and I know you'd probably agree with me, no matter what age your kids are, whether they're in preschool or that you have an infant, or whether you have college age kids or they're grown, no matter what age, you probably would agree with me with this statement here, is that the culture in which we live in today, times have changed. Would you agree? The times have changed. Let me give you an example. Here's a picture uh, of a guy in 1917 who was on the beach who got a ticket for indecent exposure. Okay, this was in 1917. I'm not really sure what is up with the swimwear. It looks like he's wearing a sports bra is what it looks like to me. That also is called a man's ear, or for those of us, maybe a sports bro, okay, that he's wearing there. But uh, I mean, think, think for a minute, indecent exposure is what he got. Think for a minute with me, okay? Um, think of, if you've been on the beach in the last few years, um, I don't think that would have gotten a ticket for indecent exposure. What do you think? Do you guys think that? All right, now, some of you need to have your quiet time about what you just thought you saw on the beach, right? You're reflecting back on some of the things you've seen on the beach. Or how about this, okay? Um, Hope and I are going to, uh, for our 25-year wedding anniversary, we're going on vacation this week and we are going to Hawaii to celebrate. We've never been there. We're going this week. I can't wait. 25 years. And uh, you need to know that I am in dire need of a new swimsuit. I think the one that I have is the one that I've had for many, many years. Now, back in the 1920s, this is what the swim attire was for men, okay? Now think about times have changed and, and I'm not really what's thinking what, what is up with the, with the man miniskirt swimwear. I'm not really sure about that. But I started thinking as I am in need of one, what would it look like if I wore one of those this upcoming week, okay? 
I just think that hope, I know that that has just been an image burned in your mind, that you will never get it out now if you want to scrub your eyes. Nice legs, by the way, I must say. But, but here is the point. Well, times have changed, but here is the statement for you, okay? But time has not. Right? Times have changed. Things are different. The culture in which we live is so vastly different than what many of you grew up in. But time is, is not something that's changed, right? I mean, in all actuality, in this, in this culture in which we live, right, it's, it's kind of crazy. Time is this constant. So this idea that, I mean, it feels different when we're younger and when we're older, but it's still this constant. This, there's a fallacy there that time is actually moving fast. It's not, it's our perception of it, right? But, but in light of the fact of how rapidly, right, the culture is changing and the times are changing, for those of you who are raising kids, let me ask you this question. Do you ever feel like in this culture, you feel like you're losing your marbles trying to raise kids? How many of that would be you? Raise your, raise your hands, okay? It's kind of crazy, right? Parenting is hard enough, is it not? but you feel like you're losing your marbles trying to just explain things that maybe wouldn't have been seen a generation ago, but you kind of feel like you're losing your marbles, right? Well, in all reality, you may not realize this, but, but if you're a parent, you are losing your marbles. You're losing your marbles. Would you agree? You, you think so, right? I wanna, get, I wanna explain what I'm saying to you this morning. I heard another pastor give this illustration and it really challenged me in how I was investing my time. He really made me think about this, okay, because here's what he said. Actually, this pastor said that his mentor was the one who challenged him with this illustration. He was meeting with his mentor and his mentor pulled out a vase of marbles and in that vase, for some of you, a vase, okay, in that vase of marbles, uh, was filled, it was filled with 936 marbles. And the 936 marbles, every one of those marbles represented one week in the life of a child from when they are actually born into your family to when they graduate from high school. So not, approximately 936 for some a little longer, we know, okay? But approximately 936, and he said, here's what I want you to do. And he was really challenging him to, to, to consider the amount of time that he had with his children, okay? He was a young pastor, he's trying to teach him this, and he said, I want you to take this vase of marbles and I want you to put this on your desk. And he said, every Monday morning, when, a, when another Monday rolls by, he said, I want you to take one of those marbles and I want you to put it into another glass container. He said, I want you to do that every week, every single week, and we know what happens, right? Weeks go by. We're losing our marbles, right? We're losing our marbles. That every one of these is a week, think about it, is a week in the life of our child, right? And, and, and what he was saying to me, to him was this, do you understand that you are losing your marbles and you will never get those marbles back because times have certainly changed, but time is not. And you only have so much time, right? And, and, and it can't be stopped, right? We can't, we can't prevent these marbles from, from continuing on. There's nothing we can do to stop that. We can't get those weeks back. 
And what he was trying to do was to create a sense of urgency in this young pastor's life to say, don't miss your family. Don't miss what God has entrusted into your care, these children that he's given to you. And I want you to know, I'm not trying to make you emotional today. I know that I can, again, you know, when I see people out in places and I ask them how they're doing, what do they do? They, they cry. I'm not trying to do that with you today, all right? All I have to do is say, how are you doing? Oh, okay, I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you to think, right? I'm trying to get you to think about this because here is what I know. The reality of this set in for me because I have a 20-year-old son now who's in this service. I have a 15-year-old daughter who will be in the next service. And, and I realized this, that if I had done this, if I had done this back whenever I knew this illustration when they were kids, these would be switched around. For some of you, this is more like what yours is like right now because you have small kids, but mine would be switched around and I realized how little time I really have left to invest as much of myself into the life of my kids that I, that I can, right? And, and, and really, I, I would have fewer marbles to transfer over. Now, my son is 20 and he is still living at home right now while he's working about 35 to 40 hours a week and going to school full time, but I'm fairly certain that Luke is sneaking back in and taking marbles out and putting them back in this side, all right? He may be doing that, trying to buy a little more time in our house, and I want you to know we're okay with that because he's working hard and going to school. But again, the point is not to just make you emotional today. The point is not to make you guilty. That if, you've, if you've maybe not ever considered that time and maybe you've wasted a lot of time and you've wasted those marbles, I'm not trying to make you guilty today. That is the last thing I ever want to do for you as a pastor is to try to guilt you into something. No, the whole point of this today is to, is to bring a reality to the fact that every one of these represents a week in the life of your child and to challenge us. There's not anything we can do in reality to get those marbles back, right? In all sincerity, we can't do that, but what we can say today, as moms and dads today, is if we have kids who are still living under our roof at this point, we can say this, I'm gonna do everything I can to maximize every one of these marbles to be sure that I'm putting all of myself into each one of those, right? And again, it's to challenge us. And from this time going forward, I'm gonna be really conscious of how I'm investing my time, not just wondering all the time, what time is it, right? And I'm gonna make the most of what Paul would say, every opportunity. Every opportunity, I want to make the most of that. It made me think of this passage where Paul said to the church at Ephesus, which was the church that Timothy, his young uh, son in the ministry who Paul was pouring himself into the life of Timothy, um, Timothy was pastoring at Ephesus, and this is what Paul said to Timothy and the church there, made up of parents. He said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, look carefully, all right, or consider this. Think deeply, he says, then look carefully then how you walk, or that also translates how you live, how you're living. What are you doing with your life? Not as unwise, but as wise. Now read the next part with me out loud, if you will. Making the best use of the time, because the days are what? Right, it's our culture. Making the best use of the, everybody say it with me, what? Time. 
making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And now he's going to say, therefore, or in response to what you've just learned, here's what your response is. Do not be foolish, he says. Don't stick your head in the sand about this. Don't pretend that it doesn't apply to you. Don't just keep rocking along in life as if this is, isn't going to impact you. This is a reality is what he's saying. The days are evil. You better be sure you're making the most of your time. Making the most of every, time, of, of every bit of time that God gives you. He says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand, he says. Understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord for us here today? It's to carefully consider what I'm doing with my life to carefully think about how I'm investing and spending my time and where uh, adjustments are necessary and we all have areas, if we're honest, where adjustments could be made. Where adjustments are necessary, I, I'm gonna make those adjustments according to God's plan for my life. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna repent in some areas that I might need to repent in. I wanna pursue God. I wanna be sure that I'm spending my time wisely as God would have me to do this and that is God's purpose perfect will. And when your vase of marbles is inverted, is as inverted as mine is. And I realized this this week, I did the math. I realized that with Trinity, my 15 year old, I have 182 marbles left out of 936. I realized that I had better be making the most of every one of those marbles. Are you with me, right? I realize that I'd better be making certain now. I know that I can't be perfect in that every week because sometimes time demands. And I realize this, that I still will have influence in their life when, they're, when they are moved out, have moved out and are living their own lives, just as I still have great relationship with my parents and I count on them for so much wisdom. But maybe if you have kids that are still under the age of 18, um, I, I won't do this for you, but do the math. Do the math today. And the reality will settle in upon you that I have only so many marbles left in the vase. And I'd better be making certain that I am making the most. This is what it, we want it to lead us to do, to make the most of the time we have left to make the most. And listen, for those with older kids, you never stop parenting, do you older parents? You never stop parenting. So please don't think this isn't for you as well. My mom and dad are still the greatest sources of wisdom in my life and they still invest in me and they still pour into my life as a 46 year old man. I still count on them today. And those of you who have kids that are grown, God is still gonna give you opportunities to invest in them. But here's the deal, you know this as well as I do that, that maybe not as many opportunities if they're out of the house. And they're not there with you every day, living life with you every single day. So the point is to maximize your time. Make the most of it, right? What I really felt led to press into, right, by the way, you're never too old to invest in somebody, okay? And, and whether it's your kids, for some of you, maybe, maybe with your kids you kind of blew it. And again, it's not to make you feel guilty today. We just heard a song that said, I've been redeemed. God can redeem those mistakes. And maybe God will give you opportunities with your grown kids today. You can be praying about that. Maybe God will give you opportunities to redeem that with your grandkids and to pour into them as much as God will allow you to do this. 
But the thing we want to press into today uh, is, is the fact that if you still have kids that are living under your roof, you want to be sure you're making the most of your time. I, I really felt led to go that direction with you because let me tell you something. Here is the thing. We have a, a hallway right down there that is filled with children, amen, right? Because we are a young church, which tells me that we have a lot of parents who have vases that are still filled with lots of marbles. And this is a, a message series about things I'd wished that I'd known. Things I wish I'd known. We have a student ministry room that, that quite often is filled up, which tells me that we have parents of teenagers who have lost more marbles, right? They've lost, and that's a, there's a dual meaning there, okay? And uh, who've lost more marbles. But, but the reality is we are a church that's filled with people who still have marbles in the vase. Things I wish I'd known, and I'm gonna tell you this right now, I know that I could line the front of this church up in every service that we've ever done, line the front up of parents who, whose kids are grown, who have moved on, and who are living their lives, and many of them would have tears streaming down their face saying this to you, things I wished I'd known, they'd say this to you, don't miss it, it goes by fast. Amen, older parents? Don't miss it. Don't miss the time of investment. And I got to thinking about this, right? As Paul is pouring into Timothy, I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy, uh, and we're gonna look in this book here in chapter three, then I'm actually gonna go backwards into chapter two. But the apostle Paul would put into practice this principle of in investing, of, of telling Timothy with this sense of urgency, about things that he wished he'd known. He's gonna talk about as he's got to thinking about how he's investing in Timothy and he's, he's with urgency telling him things that he needs to know. And I thought the pattern of discipleship that Paul is pouring into Timothy, who he calls his son in the ministry, is not so different than us who are trying to pour into the lives of our kids, whether they're sons or daughters in the ministry or they're just our kids, right? Okay, there's this pattern of discipleship. There's key things that, that, he, that he pours into the life of Timothy that I want to hit on with you for a few moments. And, and really what I also started thinking about is we all as Christians have been given this great commission to go in the name of Jesus. And we do that well here at EVC, as Pastor Randy talked about it last week, to go and, and to be the, 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 the Jesus Christ and to take the gospel into the dark places of the world. We do that well here, whether we're going to Honduras or Montreal or other places in the world, in the community, uh, you know, all over the world. We're, we're, we are a going people. But what God really pressed upon my heart this week is we are about making disciples as Jesus called us to all over the world, what God pressed upon on my heart this week is that I always should start first in my home. Amen, right? Uh, that we want to do well in making disciples everywhere else, but I have to start in my home first. It's with my kids first that these kids that God in his sovereignty has entrusted into my care, that I am as their dad, their primary and chief discipler. 
that it's my responsibility to be sure that that is happening and that, and that I'm doing my best to pour myself and to pour Christ more than anything into their lives. And my pattern was that, or my thinking was that this pattern of what Paul was pouring into Timothy is so pertinent to the pattern of discipleship for how we are to pour into the lives of our kids. And in 2 Timothy chapter three, I wanna just first show you how Paul even mentions how times are changing. Look at what he says in chapter three, verse one. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult, everybody say it with me, what? Times. In the last days, there will be very difficult times. Now, I want you to really pay close attention to what he describes this culture looking like. For people will love only themselves. They will be lovers of self above all else, is what he's saying, and their what? Money. They will love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and what does it say? Ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends and be reckless. They will be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And then he says, stay away from people like that. He's encouraging him uh, as this young pastor. Now, now this could be confusing because we could be thinking, now what in the world is he talking about? I thought we were supposed to be light and in, uh, uh, of Jesus in the culture. Yes, we absolutely are. And here's the thing that Paul was getting at. This kind of culture, which by the way, does it sound familiar? Right? Does it sound familiar? This kind of culture, he says, we are to engage those. This is a Christless culture is what he's describing. We are to engage. Everything Jesus said was to go into that culture and to be light. Don't hide it under the basket, right? Paul would say, go into that culture. Don't just withdraw, all right? So what is the deal with don't don't associate with people like that? What he's actually getting at here is that this kind of culture had invaded the church, and that people who were supposed to know better weren't living as godly people. It had invaded the church and it had invaded the hearts of certain leaders. If you were to keep reading, he would describe those leaders and he would say, stay away from people who are fake, in essence is what he's saying. He's not saying don't engage this Christless culture. That's what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples and that make disciples that make disciples going out into, right, this Christless culture, all right? And so what he's saying is we've got to be real, moms and dads. Our faith has to be real, church. Our faith must look authentic and be authentic. And it's imperative if, if our children are going to, to become disciples of Jesus, it's imperative that they see that it's actually real in our lives and that it's not a strange thing for us to talk about these kinds of things with them. By the way, each one of those are great talking points with your kids. They will be unloving and unforgiving. Talk about, are you talking about what it means to forgive, what it means to love? They will be arrogant. We live in the selfie generation. They'll be, you know, consumed with self. Are you talking about loving others first? Do you see what I'm saying? All of these are talking points. 
Now listen to how Moses says this in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five, and then we'll go back to second Timothy. He says this, and you, he says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Moms and dads, you must do this. It has to be real with you and all your soul and all your strength. And you, parents, must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. It needs to be real in your life is what Moses is saying. Now look at what he begins to say. Repeat them again and again to your children. Notice that there is no talk of a children's minister being the primary discipler there. Notice there's no talk of a youth pastor being the primary discipler. He's saying to the people who have kids here, you must repeat them again and again, these principles of God. You're talking with them about this, right? About the directives of God here. Talk about them when you are at, what does it say, church? Where? At home, okay? Talk about them when you're at home. Talk about them, he says, uh, not just at church, when you're on the road, when you're driving. When you're on your way to the baseball practice or, or to basketball or cheerleading or whatever it is or band or talk about those things. When you're going to bed and when you're getting up. But I started thinking for all those things to happen, you know what that means? You gotta be in their lives and you have to be spending time, right? Time, maximizing the time. Even the time you're driving, even while you're walking, just you're not doing anything that's highly unusual and it doesn't become awkward for you because it's the normal thing in your life and it becomes, you're just talking with them, teachable moments, the normal rhythms of life. That's what this is, is what he's saying right here. It's the normal rhythms, rhythms of life and that you're the primary discipler. So Paul is, is doing this. He's pouring into Timothy's life and there are things that we can pour into the lives of our kids. And what this is, it's just discipleship. And a lot of us, we hear that word and we, we're maybe afraid of what that means or we think that only pastors can do that or whatever, but no, you can pour into their life just by, just by talking about these specific things. I don't have an exhaustive list today, but I'm just gonna point out a few things that Paul's gonna be doing in Timothy's life and show you that we can do this with our kids. This is something that we can be doing, talking about this. Now, Now we know that our church is an aircraft carrier, right? We've talked about that, and so we're launching you out into the world. Well, think of your home as that aircraft carrier also. You are equipping and preparing and getting ready to launch your children out into this world to be the light of Jesus into this dark culture in which we live, because times have changed, right? I mean, we know that there's been darkness from the, the, the beginning, right, after Adam and Eve, but I'm talking about in this particular culture in which we live, Paul invests this pattern. Now, look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He's going to begin to say, here are some things that I, that, that I learned I can instill in my kids because he's doing this in Timothy's life, okay? He's modeling this kind of investment and discipleship. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Timothy, my dear, what does he say? son, my son, my son in the ministry, this younger one coming up behind me, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. What are some things that we can be pouring into our kids? Here's what we can be teaching them. Number one, write this down. God's grace is the foundation of our faith. Amen, right? that we are talking with them about what God's grace means in our life. Isn't it interesting that that is where Paul starts? That he starts with God's grace. 
That he begins to, to, to point to Timothy to the grace of God, right? And that, and that nothing changes our lives more than when we finally understand the grace of God in our lives, that we are loved by God, that we can be saved by him, not by how good we can be or what we can do, that we can be accepted by God because of his grace. And this is huge when we're talking about things I'd wish I'd known, that our identity Identity is found in a relationship with Christ far above all the things that we can achieve, all the things that we can do, right? Because many of us will live an entire lifetime on the performance treadmill, trying to gain approval of others, but when we can capture the grace of God in our life, it releases us from that prison of performance. And we realize it's not that we don't want to achieve, we realize that that's not why we're loved, that we're actually loved by God because of who he is in our life. And, and I just want you to know this, that I wish that, that I had known this at an earlier age. My mom and dad were newer believers at that time and didn't quite grasp that themselves yet, but at an earlier age, I found myself as a young man with a major identity crisis because my whole identity was wrapped up in how well I could achieve in sports. And what I did in sports was, was who I was and what I was known by, and, right? And I grew up as a, as a sports kid and did well. Not, not great, but well, right? And I won some awards. And when I finally stopped playing sports and I didn't make it as the professional athlete that I, that I just envisioned myself that I was gonna be that 6'10 center in the NBA, okay, right? <laughs> or that world-class sprinter in the Olympics was what, was what I envisioned for myself, right, okay? When that reality didn't happen, but whenever, truly, whenever I finally stopped playing sports in my college years, I want you to know that I, I learned my whole identity was wrapped up in what I did and how many home runs I could hit or, or, or how many runners I could throw out at second base because I was a catcher, or, or how many tackles I could make. That was my identity. And I'm just trying to just get, get you to understand with me that, that if I'd known earlier on that, that Jesus accepts me because he, he just loves me and he's crazy about me, no matter what I can do, that he loves me, then that would have been a game changer for me earlier on in my life. Also, I just want to encourage those of you who have kids that are wrapped up in all of the activities today, that's incredible that, that we have so many great things for our kids to be involved in, but as a parent, be certain that their identity is not found in those things. Be certain that their identity is found in the grace of Jesus Christ, that they understand this. And so what Paul is saying is, is talk about grace, model grace. Explain grace. This is where Paul starts, and as we keep reading, this is what he says in, cha in, in chapter two, verse two. He says this, Timothy, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now he's gonna say this to Timothy. Now, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. What he's saying is, as I'm investing in you, I'm trusting that you're gonna invest in somebody else, right? So here's what we wanna do as disciples of our kids. Remember, our, our objective is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Let's not just make the church the primary place that's happening. Let's do this in our homes. 
We're making disciples of our kids, so we wanna be certain that we're teaching them that they are to invest in others as we are investing in them. That they have to keep this baton of our faith going, right? It's important, Pastor Randy said it last week, and it's so true, that if we don't do this, if we don't pour in and invest in others, you need to know something, that Christianity could be on its way out here. We're one generation away from being just completely irrelevant to the world. And we've got to be certain that we're passing it on just as someone passed it along to us, right? Paul is saying, all this stuff I've been teaching you, Timothy, I want you, I want you to pour it into someone else's life. This is the essence of discipleship. This is all about teaching our kids to be a contributor and not just a consumer. And that's not just about coming to church, that's a contributor in society, not just a consumer. We live in a society that is all about consumption, right? It's all about consumption, but he's saying no. Teach them to pour into others, to give of themselves, right? More than anything, giving this gospel of grace that they have in their life, not to keep it to themselves. My son has done a, done a lot of things that I've been proud of in his life. As I said, he's 20 years old, and I've been very proud of him for, for all of his life. I've, I've, I've just, he's an incredible young man, very respectful. Many of you have said that to me, and it always blesses me to hear that whenever you say that, but my, my, probably one of my proudest moments was the day that he came home right after he had graduated from high school and he was on his way out of the youth group at that point and he came home and he said, Dad, I feel like God is calling me to, uh, to lead a group of junior high boys. And he was 18 at the time. To be a leader of a junior high group of boys here in the church. And I want you to know, folks, that takes a major calling to be uh, led to do junior high boys. Amen, right, okay? You gotta be called, okay? And he said, I feel like God's calling me to do that. And, and what was so cool about that in my life for me was I didn't say, Luke, you know what? We really need help in the junior high area. We really could use some help. We've got a lot of kids. That could... Luke came on and he said, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. I want you to know that he was like, I want to be sure I'm giving back. I've been given a lot in the youth ministry. I want to be sure that I'm giving back now. And I want you to know that was one of the coolest moments in my life as a dad. And, and, and here is one of the even better moments. It was about probably six months later when one of you wrote me an email and told me what an incredible difference my son had made in the life of your son and said that, that, that he was reaching him in a way that no one else had even been able to do that. And I thought to myself, my son may not have been one who's hit a lot of home runs on the baseball field, but he just hit a home run in eternity in something that matters, amen, right? And I thought, and I thought, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? Right? And I thought to myself, he gets it. He gets that we're not supposed to keep this. We're supposed to pass this on. Don't just consume, contribute. So the question is, are you, are you modeling that? Are you contributing? Are you showing them what that looks like? Are you serving? Are you inviting? You know, are you investing in the lives of others? Right, and I just love that. We need to train them to give of themselves not to just be a consumer. Look at what Paul continues to say here. Endure suffering, he says to Timothy. Endure suffering. Paul is about to lose his life for the gospel. 
And he says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I wish I had time to break down the soldier part because what he's really saying is this, is it's a loyalty to the commander in chief. He's also saying we are in a spiritual battle. Wouldn't you agree in this culture, right? And he's saying, he's saying, being a good soldier, you, in, you endure hardships, he says. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for they cannot please the officer who enlisted them if they're not focused on keeping the main thing the main thing. So here is number three, write this down. We want to be teaching them that storms are inevitable. They are going to go through hard times. But here is the thing, but Christ is our anchor. You see, you can't keep your kids from going through hard times. I learned that this way. My daughter went to high school this year and it was a different experience for her. She struggled in some ways, trying to navigate through friendships and navigate through the things that often are thrown at kids and in school, right? And, 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 and just, I realized this as she was struggling. Do you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to fix it all. You know what I realized? I can't. But you know what I can do? I can sure pour Christ into her and help her know this, that throughout her entire lifetime, she is going to go through difficult times because this world is broken, folks. And my job is not to take those tough times away. I can't do it. My job is to be sure she's anchored in Jesus in knowing that when she goes through the tough times, that she has someone who is gonna walk with her through it. Even when I'm not there that God will walk with her through those times, that Jesus is the anchor, right? Questions to consider this morning as you're thinking about this. When you go through tough times, how do you respond? Are you teaching your kids how to turn and to trust in Jesus in those difficult times? Or are you constantly freaking out in front of them? Or are you showing them, hey, when tough times happen, this is what we do. We pray, we go to God. It may not all be fixed immediately, but we model this before them. Do your kids see peace and joy in you in spite of the circumstances? What do they see? What are you modeling for them? Do they see you uh, praying and trusting God, waiting patiently in faith? I'm not saying that, that you don't uh, mess up in those times, but what are we showing them? I really had to learn this. Skipping ahead just a little bit for time's sake. Verse 15, here's what he says next. Work hard so you can present yourself to God. Verse 15, and receive his approval. Be a good worker. One who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of what? Truth. The word of truth. Paul exhorts Timothy to devour the word of God. So we're to teach them this. Here's what we want to be teaching them about God's grace. We want to teach them about, uh, about these things here. Living for an audience of one. Not trying to please everyone else as I talked about a few weeks ago in my own life where I struggled with that. But living for an audience of one and for them to have God's word in their life as their guide. So in light of that, we model for them how important God's word is. We let them see that we're reading the word of God, that we are, how are you gonna help them know how to rightly divide the word of truth if you're not pursuing learning how to rightly divide the word of truth? Because the culture is gonna be screaming at them in all kinds of ways. How are you gonna anchor them in the faith in the tough times 
if you don't have God's word as your guide and as their guide while you're doing it, right? This is so important. Living for an, an audience of one and with God's word as their guide. Now listen to what he says, skipping down to verse 21. By the way, we, we could just unpack all this. There's just not time because there's another service. <laughs> if you keep yourself pure, he says, he's talking to his son in the ministry, you will be a special utensil for honorable use, one that God wants to use. Your life will be clean, right? If you keep yourself pure, you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. He says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. He's teaching them that. Run from it, Timothy. You know why he's telling him to run from it? What have we said around here? There's not a one of us that is not susceptible to failure in this area. Amen, right? And he's saying, you gotta run from that. You don't put yourself in these compromising positions, right? And he says, instead of, of running to these things, pursue and run after righteousness. Run after righteous living, faithfulness. Run after what real love is. Run after peace. And then he says this, look, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So here's your final thing. Flee these compromising situations. We must teach them to flee that and to surround themselves with godly people. They need godly influences. He said, enjoy the companionship of those who are calling on God. Pursue righteous living. Uh, listen, here's the deal. You don't just stumble into living righteousness, with righteousness. It has to be intentional. So are we talking to our kids about purity? Are we talking to our kids about what God has to say about purity and, and, and sexual immorality? He's pretty direct about this, right? He, he begins to, he's really trying to, to protect Timothy at this early stage in his life. Are we leading them out of compromising situations? Or are we just allowing them to be surrounded by that all the time? Or are we leading them to know how to recognize it and to run? What, what are we doing with this? We have to take, there's so many more things that we, could, that we could mine out of these passages today. We have to take it very seriously that we're losing these. Everyone's a, a week that goes by in the life of your kid. We have to take it seriously and capture that. Again, these are just a few of the things that we can pour into their life. If you wanna know more about how to pour into someone who's younger than you, whether it's your son or whether it's just another young person or your daughter or whatever, read this book because it's, he's modeling how to do this for us. What kinds of things should we be talking about with them? He's modeling this. We can't stop from losing these marbles but we can make sure that we're doing everything we can with every one of them that goes in that other vase. I wanna just invite you to pray with me at this time, if you will. Are you making the most of your time, redeeming the time because the days are evil? How are you managing that? Just right now, just begin to contemplate that. What are you doing with the marbles you have left? Maybe for some of you, you don't have any left. And I want you to know, God is not through with your influence in your child's life. Maybe right now what you would do is just ask God for opportunities. Maybe for some of you, it's gonna be as a grandparent 
where God is gonna redeem some of those mistakes. Remember this, this isn't to beat you up. We're all struggling with managing this. We all blow it, we all can waste time, but God's grace is amazing. We can't do anything to change what's happened in the past, but we can learn from these mistakes, things I wish I'd known. Going forward, I'm gonna, I'm gonna maximize this now, God. I realize I only have so many, so many weeks left. Right now, maybe you can just call your kids' names out to God in prayer. Do that right now, just call their names out. No matter what their age is, just say, God, I'm praying for them right now. We live in a culture that is very difficult to navigate. God, I'm praying for them, call their names out. God, show me how I can invest in them no matter what age they are. Pray right now for their spiritual protection. Pray for them to love Jesus deeply. Maybe for some of you, you would say, God, would you show me what kind of father you really are so I can be that kind of father to my kids? See, because the more you understand how good God is to you, the more he changes your life and the more your kids are gonna see God's goodness in your life. Maybe for some of you, Father's Day is really hard. Maybe you didn't have a good father. Maybe you didn't have one who invested in you the way that I'm talking about today. But listen, I want you to hear this. You have a perfect heavenly father. Oh, hear this today. A perfect heavenly father who is crazy in love with you today. And who wants a deep relationship with you. And I pray that his love pours over you right now. If you've never accepted him as your savior, call on him to be your savior right now. Say, Jesus, would you come into my life? And now I'm charging you with this as Jesus has. You are to pass that along. We bless your name today, Lord, because you are such a good father. God's people said, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Let's just make this our closing prayer to God in song today. Make this your response back to God.